0: This is a Clark University podcast.
1: Guess who's back?
2: RFU contains grown-up themes and occasional course language when they get carried away. Please
0: take care while listening. Hi, Screen Professors, this is Ashling Lynch and I am a Clark Class of 2021 alum. Recommended for you this week is the film Official Competition from 2021, made in Spain and directed by Gaston Duprat and Mariano Kahn. The film stars Penelope Cruz, Antonio Banderas, and Oscar Martinez. And I am recommending this film for you because although it's not a plot heavy film at all, it does have some major twists that I'd love to hear what you all thought of. Also, Official Competition is a movie about movie making, so I'm curious to know whether you thought the film's insights into artistry were funny or tedious or both. Can't wait to hear your thoughts.
2: This. this this is recommended for you. For you for you. A podcast where
1: Clark University screen studies professors
2: watch and discuss films suggested by the, the, the. community.
1: Welcome, welcome, welcome to RFU. I'm Soren Sorensen.
2: <laughs> I'm Rox Sommer.
1: And I'm Hugh Manon.
2: What are we here to talk about this episode?
1: We are
3: here to talk about a film whose title, <clears throat> like so many films that we've seen. I can never remember. The title of this film is Official Competition,
1: recommended by one Ashley Lynch.
2: Ashley got the heads up that we are focusing on comedy films. And so she suggested, she was like, well, you know, is this a comedy? Is it not? She wrote me, you know, it's certainly a satire. Um, does that count? And we said yes. Official Competition, which I also confused the title and kept <laughs> thinking of Obvious Child, I guess, because they're both OC <laughs> OC films. Hugh, do you want to tell us what this film is about? Give us some, some.
3: This film is a Spanish and Argentinian co-production directed by Mariano Cohn and Gaston Duprat. The film begins as an octogenarian owner of a pharmaceutical corporation is having end-of-life second thoughts about his corporate capitalist way of life. Umberto Suarez, played by Jose Luis Gomez, wants to finance an architecturally fancy bridge and give it to the state, or, he muses, he could finance a prestigious film. And that is what he does. He hires Lola Cuevas, played by Penelope Cruz, to direct. She is prestigious, but kind of strange. Umberto pays through the nose for the rights to a Nobel Prize-winning novel. Lola hires two actors to play the estranged brothers at the center of the story. Ivan Torres, played by Oscar Martinez, is the principled and professional maestro artiste. Felix Rivero, played by Antonio Banderas, is the womanizing popular film star. They all go to a huge postmodern building, which is full of big, empty spaces and virtually no one occupying it. From here on, the film unfolds as a series of rehearsals for a film, which is a really bizarre premise and truly perverse. We never see a single shot from the final film although we see the premiere and know that it does, in the end, get made. The two actors have drastically different approaches to acting, and each tries to outdo the other in various ways that we can talk about later. Lola challenges the two in ways that are funny, because they involve various forms of low-key psychological torture. She is serious, demanding, relentless, and knows exactly what she wants. The third act involves a twist. The film, of which we have seen nothing, premieres to great fanfare and acclaim. A huge advertising banner reveals that Felix has done what Ivan said he would do earlier if Felix were to die during filming. He plays both key roles, both brothers. Lola seems to have checked out entirely, but Felix emerges heroic and sporting the beard that Ivan, seen only in a hospital bed, is missing.
1: Very nice. Who do we suppose Lola's character is supposed to emulate? And also, um, and this doesn't have to be a single one, but, and also, um, does she actually know what she wants? Does she have, does she really have a vision or is she just kind of, you know, flailing
2: a little bit? Two of the last films I've seen in theaters, our Parallel Mothers, in which Penelope Cruz plays another queer character, and Pain and Glory, in which she oddly enough plays Antonio Banderas's mother, but they don't appear together on screen. She appears in flashbacks, and for me, this is a very much a, a very like Pain and Glory esque film where we're thinking about filmmaking with with a little wit and humor, um, and maybe a little heart as well, but certainly who Lola is, is embodying this, you know, very big personality behind the camera and even way before she's behind the camera. And in the case of this film, we're seeing her rehearse her actor. So that's who I like, that's who came to my mind first and foremost.
3: I mean, is she in control? I think like, that's a, that's a super interesting question. Like, it seems like her method is heavily controlled she's got a plan every day and the plan is something different so it's like i i would say that she is certainly forceful and kind of has a a really high key agenda but is she in control internally does she know what she's doing i mean that's a whole different whole. Different
1: in, in the question. scene where um you know umberto um, the octogenarian, you know, the the rich pharmaceutical CEO or whatever is is you know laying it all out and saying, well, we 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 paid this fortune for this book and you know, we want this we want the very best. That's kind of this the opposite of what you 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 hope like an artist is speaking like when they're about to embark on this kind of a of a you know pursuit. Um, he he says, well, to, I haven't had time to read the book yet. You know, we paid a fortune for it, but you know, can you explain it to me? And there's a there's a look in Penelope Cruz uh, in Lola's eyes. Um, that's almost like, I don't, I didn't read it either. (laughs) Or I I was almost, I I was sort of like, how much is she leading him astray on what the actual book's about and just giving him these bare bones? I mean, I, I, I got the sense that she, she, she was doing a loose, she says that she's doing a loose reading of it, but it's like, she really doesn't tell him much. And then it kind of goes for that exterior and we don't hear the very end of the story. And I was always... Like, right from that instant, I was thinking, well, she's sort of making it up as she goes along, too, and not really assured of herself. And oh. this guy has no idea how films are made anyway. So, And then she's got these two actors who are from opposite ends of the method spectrum. You know, one one is f- sort of fully, you know, committed to this idea of inhabiting the character, and the character has a history, and he, the, the character, you know, is a, is a sports fan, and, you know, possibly has nationalist tendencies and all this stuff. And and Antonio Banderas's character, uh, Felix, is like... Well, you know, if I if I say the words convincingly enough, then um then, you know, Felix will be there. You know, it's like this is this is or the or, or my you know, my character will be there. So I, I, I don't know, I was I was wondering how much all three of them were sort of improvising and that her a lot of her visions for rehearsal were sort of made up at the last minute, especially when they de- she destroys all of their awards or um, trophies <laughs> and her own Palm d'or and all this stuff. Um it was kind of made up spur of the moment, twenty four hours before or something. I mean
2: it's it's interesting that you were calling BS on her out of the gate because like eventually for me that is where the film goes right like the the satire the satire swallows all or at least nearly all and that's that's my big question for the film but initially my impression was like okay clearly this like producer is being sent up like like he's such an ass he's so dumb um Like he doesn't even bother to like try (laughs) to like read the book, and then he's sitting there with his the fanciest ice cream you've ever seen, (laughs) and he offers her something a
1: Sunday or something. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Yeah, and
2: she's like, "No, no, I don't want any of your like foofy ice cream." And like, and that look in her eye, I took to be you didn't even read the book, like you dick. You have millions upon millions of dollars to spend on the to spend on the rights for this film, but like you didn't even read it. Like, so so I. In that moment for that scene, for me, I thought we were like being like, oh, thank God, like someone's here to say like someone's here who like gets what we're up to when we're when we when we make films and when we when we love the cinema. Um, But then but but then she unravels it unravels for sure.
3: She says we'll be loose. And then we see her essentially like creating or we see the collage effectively the visual collage she's created in the form of a script but the script has all these odd pieces of paper and cigarettes taped to it nude polaroids just like random absolutely weird random stuff on every single page so you feel like she's you know like her approach to this is truly the artiste um and in a pretty wild way So, like, her control and her sense that, you know, our sense that she knows what she's doing really does fall back on that thing that uh, Felix says about, you know, he says, when you go to the doctor, he doesn't need to tell you his life story for you to believe he's a doctor. He has a white coat, a diploma on the wall, and a stethoscope. And that's his rationale for why, like, all you need to do as an actor is, like, be there, be somebody recognizable, and read the lines with authority, and everybody just buys that you are the character. And the thing about that is he may like he felix may be less intelligent and sophisticated than yvonne but he's not wrong in what he says with his doctor metaphor and it's just written all over the place in the film
1: no not and neither are wrong ultimately yeah it's it's this kind of that's the problem is like they're both they're opposing sides of the same coin or something or yin and yang like they're they're, neither is is incorrect in what they do but neither will also give the other the the room to do it the way they want to do it and it just it just becomes this kind of sniping back and forth or whatever and lola I think certainly just from the jump losing control over all of this, um, and and her again like there's not really any consistency. Every rehearsal we see them in are is different from the last one. Um, there's not like they're there's not like they have multiple table reads even. And she's immediately telling him to do lines over again, which I, I could not stop laughing at
0: that.
2: Buenas noches. Una vez más. Buenas noches.
0: Otra vez.
3: Buenas
2: noches. Wow, I, you guys thought she lost control? Because, like, for me, it was a much more a slow burn on Lola because we get the kissing scene, which must be discussed, and we get the metal destruction scene, which. And it. <laughs>
1: I'm just kidding. Of course we have to. Listeners. Yeah, Rox is just aghast. (laughs)
2: Rude. If we're not discussing that scene, I'm out. No, no. The kissing scene and the metal destruction scene are like the most iconic of the film. And my impression in that moment is that she has total, total control.
3: In the moment where she forces him to read the line over and over again. Is that what you're saying? Well, in
2: these rehearsals, in these early rehearsals multiple times. Yeah.
3: my read on the scene where w- the Buenas Noches scene is that we think it's, it, it's just utterly ridiculous until he reads the line the right yeah. way in the way that she wants it. And then we go... Oh my god, she was totally right about this all along. No, and then
1: she's telling she's telling Felix to to be imagine 10 being the most drunk and 1 being the least drunk. Like, give me a 6.5. Like it's just Yeah, now that's, that's ridiculous. Insane. I mean, it really is. It, what?
3: what it reminds me of is one of my favorite scenes of all time which is in 24 uh, Hour yeah. Party People where they have Martin Hannett the producer of the famous Joy yeah. Division album and other things saying, "I want you to play it slower <laughs> but faster." <laughs> And that's what she, she's giving people
1: instructions that are just unfollowable, right?
2: Uh, but Antonio Banderas follows Right, them. but it's
1: the, the whole yeah. thing. It, it, again, it's, again, on day one. I, well, I, it says fine. I, I don't.
2: You I, have to do this day one. So this is my, like, teaching method. Sorry. <laughs> Spoilers, students. Like, you have to be strict or tough for the first couple weeks of teaching Or else you've lost them from the start tough isn't Um, repeat
1: a word over and over again though like that's that's different there's a different exercise at at, at play when you're just asking someone to just read a line over and over again you're just making them feel insecure about themselves i don't know i I mean is it effective the guy died at the end of the production before it even (laughs) went into production (laughs) i i i
2: I guess we all concurred that like sort of the brilliance of that scene watching it is that we get to see these Oscar Martinez and Antonio Banderas do like remarkable basic acting in response to her direction I think that Antonio
1: Banderas and Oscar Martinez are remarkable I think Lola is grasping at straws I don't think Lola knows what the hell she's doing I think Penelope Cruz is brilliant as an actor I just it was like it was instantly right off the bat for me like this is she's like putting them through some some exercises and it's not going to work and she and, and it unravels really quickly and one of the actors nearly dies before they go wow well, then
2: then we must have like fundamentally different interpretations of this film because i thought the critique of her like everyone gets hit in this movie when talking about satire and i definitely but i took hers to be uh much more deep of a cut no be, because because i guess i took Her character to be so powerful and so convincing for so long that when she looks in Felix's eyes and she knows what he's done and then and she proceeds, she participates in the cover up um, for the sake of making this movie, then that is the moment when she is full of shit. I think we see both their ridiculous, like the ridiculousness of the two men out of the gate. Right. Yeah, I, I I thought I felt the film was
1: very sort of hostile to the entire industry. Like all three of the people oh, being yeah. represented, the assistants, Definitely. everybody. It was just kind of you know, and again, not to sound like a broken record, but we do watch a lot of films where you're not really rooting for anybody. Like this is a this is a film where I was not I didn't care about these characters at all. And by hour two, or like or like by by ninety minutes into it, I was like, please, like I don't need to see her doing the floss, and I don't need to see this dance scene. And I didn't, you know, it was very, it was it was pretty. Like when she's, you know, whispering to herself into the vacuum tube, like I don't, I mean, I don't know how that's supposed to be. Like, are we supposed to like that? Are we supposed to think that she's being creative?
2: Lesbiana pretenciosa, viciosa, cruel, puta, puta, niña, niña,
3: It's making fun of her in those scenes, but the problem is that this film is internally so it's consistent in its inconsistency. I hate to say this, but this film is like loaded with paradox. So this film is constantly shifting registers and it's constantly taking you in and out of this kind of mode where, like, are like like in Lola's case, it's is she a good director or is she a bad director? And she's both. Like, so she does things that are actually kind of like useful, and she does things that are absurd. Both of the actors are right in at some points and wrong at other points and I think that it's that shift that this film like really like artfully handles but but I would say like my my kind of experience of the film is maybe different than Soren's I'm not sure if you're sort of like like condemning the film like toot court but like when I watch this it's the fact that I'm constantly shifting registers between identifying with the characters and thinking about how great the acting is yeah that causes me to constantly shift back and forth. And then I'm totally hooked at that point. Like I'm really into watching right. the actors act yeah. like yeah. actors. Yeah. And so it, it's compelling to me though, the whole way through.
2: Yeah, I was hoping before we got to this moment that I, I would pose a question coming out of a quote, cause I'm the person who's like, let me read some books to bring in. Um, and so Simon Critchley, the philosopher <laughs> in his book on humor, writes that satire asks us to look at ourselves as if we were visitors from an alien environment to examine terrestrial existence from a Martian point of view. And so my question for you all was like, who, who were you, right? Like if I guess sort of presuming that this is satire and satire done well, where are those moments of identification with characters? And I, and I'm trying to like, not over psychoanalyze, soren and and wonder if this resistance is coming from the answer is lola (laughs) but uh for you yeah my work um, is very
1: similar to to this (laughs) to to what her (laughs) work is likely
2: (laughs) (laughs) but like but but to to where you're both coming from i feel both of what you're saying but for me the experience of literally watching the film i was in what Hugh is describing like in that mode and then by the end i was like grumpy <laughs> yeah. but i wasn't grumpy out of the gate yeah. um which yeah. is what it's sounding like it was for you and I for me there I... were moments that are lola is me but there's a, a many more moments where um yvonne is me and in a way that's like that i was tickled by where... so when he we yeah. and, when he and his wife listened to that experimental music <laughs> while petting their cats and drinking wine <laughs> and like and i'm like oh my god either this is me or this is how i envision myself and that is yes that is but you
1: ridiculous. and rachel aren't listening to like atonal like <laughs> like spoken word with, with like it's some... not
2: like that far because it is pushed <laughs> yeah, far but yeah, like yeah. yeah we're people who put on like the judy garland christmas yeah but that's the
1: opposite it. of what they're doing right you're like having fu- they're like yeah. they're trying to like they're even trying to impress each other like you guys are having fun like i I feel like listening to judy garland is the opposite of listening to this like avant-garde like noise whatever it is this disaster which i immediately tried to shazam and i couldn't find it
3: (laughs) so what they're what they're talking about the music (laughs) they're talking about i hate to say it like that's totally (laughs) my shit that's my shit like when when you hear him say when he says listen to that grimy noise in the background that's just fucking me like that's me (laughs) (laughs) and and when i when i heard that i was just like holy cow the film is making fun yeah.
0: of
1: it. well but but it's making fun of like it is really like it's sort of like south park like it's making fun of everybody on screen i mean it's not really there's not really anybody i mean rock said this it's not there's nobody safe from from the the ire of the film i mean in a way it's it's a pretty hostile film to its subjects um, and i don't
2: and to its viewers yeah, i mean it's yeah. a, like that's the question for me like they're watching it the first time in the middle of the film if i if you like pause the film after the kissing scene after that music at home scene <laughs> and I would be like, I turned to Rachel, Rachel watched it with me and I turned to her multiple times. I was like, this movie is fucking hilarious. Yeah, like, yeah. like that's us. We are ridiculous. Thank you for making this movie, making fun of us because I enjoy it. But by the end, when all the leads are skewered and like filmmaking and art filmmaking if like is revealed to be like total BS from like And I'm like, well, then why why did we watch this? Maybe, like, maybe like I already is...
1: thought that it was BS before <laughs> I started watching the film, so it was just confirmation bias or something. I was just like, oh, yeah. Like, they're just going to skewer everybody. And it, it just reminded me a lot of uh, what I think is a superior film about the industry, but a, a much different kind of film is uh, Robert Altman's The Player, which I know Hugh likes. I I, I love this movie. I'm like a devotee of, of Altman's for sure. but. The, the scene with um, at the very end of the player spoiler alert where uh, Julia Roberts and, and Bruce Willis are acting out the movie within a movie that Richard E. Grant has been writing um, and it's like you know what took you so long traffic was a bitch like this kind of thing like it's not going to be that way and then it is that way like and, and so when you see that Antonio Banderas' character Felix is playing both roles from the minute that they had the fight it, it was like sort of Chekhov's it was like Chekhov's jujitsu or something like you, you knew when he did that move it was like okay we're seeing this fight training for some reason not necessarily for the film that we're going to watch or the film within a film that we're going to watch or his astronaut drama where he he parachutes in uh, to an island, quote, of savages, unquote. Um, but it's, it's you know, there was a kind of predictable track that this went on, and I think it kind of, it definitely, it, it sort of betrays the, the the director's bias or the or the filmmaker's bias, I suppose, about, about how this is all just ridiculous. And I, so I don't know, it didn't really have... A, much of a beating no. heart. Neither did Robert Altman's The Player. But frankly, there's not a lot of sympathy for the characters in that film either.
2: I know. A, a lot of the movies that I like about filmmaking manage to like balance um, a certain sort of critique or awareness of the flaws of the industry with delivering nonetheless what film does best. Yeah. So like, I think of things like Singing in the Rain, yeah. Sunset Boulevard, Stars Born, Boogie Nights, um, Boogie Nights. That's a tough. <laughs> Does it make you feel wistful for Hollywood in some way? Like I, I don't know. I, maybe I The ways it hard. once were. Like there's a nostalgia factor to Boogie Nights for sure.
1: When good the, the good old days when porn was on film.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Hugh, as someone who also had a little bit of fun while watching it, what what where do you sort of end when
3: when it was all said and done? Yeah. So I, I mean. You, you know, you read my mind on The Player and I, it, the connect it would make a great double feature with The Player in some ways, but uh, in The Player um, there is a love for Hollywood and this is Altman's thing, right? So he's always got one foot in and one foot out, but let's not forget the one foot in um, Fred Ward's character at the beginning of The Player is like waxing poetic about these amazing tracking shots, <laughs> Touch of Evil and all these things, so that's kind of like there there's a heart to it for sure but like it's the cynical bullshit that's around the kind of golden era of Hollywood that the film has nothing to do with and that Altman clearly dismisses and despises Um, this film. I think it's acting. Yeah. Um, I think that, that acting is what's in some sense revered in this film. And, you know, it's so basic that it almost doesn't need to be said. This is a film about rehearsals, not about filmmaking. So in some ways, like it puts all the focus on acting and, I just think it it allows these three actors to shine and to do things that are extremely convoluted, dialectical, paradoxical and weird. And so it's like actors acting about acting, you know, like I've I've, I'm always perplexed. I just I I saw this uh, just recently. I won't give any spoilers for sure about this, but like on the finale of um, Better Call Saul. So there's a lot of acting that goes on in that episode for those who have seen it. And it's amazing when the actor who you think and this happens in official competition twice, the actor who you think is being truthful about something so severe as pancreatic cancer turns on a dime and reveals that, oh, yeah, I was just I was just joshing you (laughs) like that wasn't real. And I fooled you all. And, of course, they fooled us, too, in this really weird way, because, of course, we know there's an actor there acting. But we, what we fail to see is that there is an actor there acting like they're acting. And I know that that's just like a
1: mental, like, you know, like it turns your brain upside down. Uh, th- those scenes were amazing and then Yvonne uh, does the same thing back to felix um in praising his acting and and he, and he's just j- joking and saying well now it's one to one and it becomes a sport a, a competition this goes back to this idea of the of the film's title which we can talk about as well um but yeah no i, I those were two of my favorite uh scenes and the first time I watched it i believed both of those scenes i don't think I, I i wasn't so cynical as to just not believe anything anybody was saying um but this film really is weirdly about pre-production right it's not just about rehearsal it's about it's about pre-production they're planning for the for the food and for the travel and all these different things and um and there aren't a lot of films like it in that that way that it's about it's it's only about pre-production in fact the party at the end is about it's like the launch of shooting the film like they haven't even shot it yet
2: so i will say there is one more perspective that i don't think the film as thoroughly thematized as it could have but it's there And it's another answer in addition to acting, which I I think is a good answer. Like, I I think the film in a certain way is calling out a lot of a lot of things that happen around acting and a lot of discourses around acting while still delivering like a (laughs) incredible, impeccable acting and and making us love it for it. But um, another perspective to filmmaking that's being offered in addition to acting, directing and producing um, is the work. Uh, of those uncelebrated others um, known as assistants. So Julia, Julia, uh, who works for Lola is almost always there and has some like really pivotal small scenes, but there's also... Felix's assistant um, who is fired <laughs> by text message upon um, telling Yvonne that he believed that that epic performance and response um, and there's a way that there's like these yeah various people performing physical labor or just like who are making even the pre-production happen um, who 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 could have not been there but are there sort of consistently and regularly. And so it's it's Julia who who comes and gets Lola when she's talking to herself in the vacuum, which which Soren mentioned hating. And she's looking at Felix's like Instagram. And he's like talking about like doing dolphins. a like save the peak dolphins like <laughs> live stream. And then she hands her phone to Julia and like is like, watch this. Yeah, and this is, like so bad, right? Oh, this is so bad. Um, and so like there's a way that like she's like the quiet, like like what is her story? We never get her perspective. But there's a way that like, yeah, there's also other people who are central to even the pre-production of a film.
3: So Umberto's got an assistant yes. too, who is constantly sort of derided as being an idiot, but is clearly what's making the whole operation work. <laughs> yeah. Right. So we we see that he runs things.
2: So he's in that first scene, which leads me to think like it would have been nice to see him at the very end too, but he is in the near end, right? Like he is. We see Yvonne at the party. He's just disgusted by like and the t- yeah. tower the drink. of drinks yeah. and the like. 50 lobsters and and so he goes to the behind the scenes to ask that assistant for a cigarette or maybe that wasn't his intention but he goes behind the scenes and sees like the food prep area and Umberto's assistant is like running shit and he asks him for a cigarette and then he joins him and it's because it's it's that it's that assistant to whom he's speaking um, derisively about Felix that Felix hears that leads to his mm-hmm. accident that is a sort of a touch point throughout and I think even like and it's one of the moments right before his accident that that Yvonne is like shown to be ridiculous because he's complaining about the obscene like even pornographic wages that Felix is getting for right. this movie right. and the assistant goes like yep. yeah certainly I, I hear you we are not what we are paid i for example and then like yvonne like interrupts and continues (laughs) and then the assistant's like okay well i'm going downstairs (laughs) like which is why he's not there like he needs to exit the scene so he doesn't witness (laughs) what comes next but um i i do think the film is like to a certain extent like flagging those who are who regularly witness such ridiculousness
3: and it does that too by bringing the three mains the three main characters sort of uh, down to their level without realizing they're being brought down. Um, And I I just, I'm amazed at the scene where Yvonne is sort of cozies up to Lola and we, we kind of think he's this professorial character who's above it all. He's principled. He's highly ethical. But then all of a sudden he says, I've got an idea. I'm paraphrasing. I've got an idea. If it turns out that Felix actually has cancer and can't do this film, what if I play both characters? <laughs> what if I play both characters, you know, both brothers? And, you know, like maybe one's got a yeah. beard. <laughs> One with the and beard. it's just For the dumbest twins. suggestion. Yeah, yeah, so. <laughs> it's so stupid. But but what we see is him sort of being lowered down. He just comes down this giant notch and we realize, yeah, so nobody here is is sort of exempt from the satire. Nobody's no. right. And and so in some sense, yeah, you're right. You you would like you'd absolutely be right to conclude that the assistants are beneath are are above contempt. Right. So everybody else is beneath contempt, but they're above it. They've risen above it simply by doing their job and being effective and handling the scheduling. You know, Julia's sitting there like trying to work out like who's (laughs) going to do what what week, which is just (laughs) horrible work. But she's doing it, you know, responsibly and correctly. And so we kind of learn to appreciate that. I want to say also that. There's another layer of worker in this film, and it's the guys with the um, leaf blowers, and it's the woman especially who sweeps up the crushed (laughs) awards on the stage, which the camera hangs out to let you see come in and have to clean up the mess. And it's also somebody who we never see, which is that right before Yvonne dies, he does this really, like, ungodly, rude thing, which is he's talking to the guy who's in charge of the big – all the food, and he drinks his wine and then he just drops his wine glass over the ledge which somebody's got to, all I can yep. think to myself is somebody's got to clean that up so there's this staff yeah. thing there's,
1: a, um, yeah. there's a, a scene this doesn't happen very often where a, a scene in a narrative film like this really kind of mimics um, a scene in a documentary that I really like and that documentary is some kind of monster um, directed by Joe Berlinger and Bruce Sinofsky and about the band Metallica <laughs> and the recording of their worst record Saint Anger uh, maybe their worst record but probably um, and there's a scene where Lars Ulrich the drummer of Metallica is is in a is it uh an auction a big auction house and in selling um a bunch of price like modern art His his this modern art collection including basquiats and all these different like paintings that he's had for years at to you know at a at a, a big markup and you know making himself even more wildly wealthy than he is um and he and, and without any malice or anything like that, he drops a champagne, champagne flute and, and they continue their conversation. And he, he kind of looks around like, sorry, you know, kind of thing. And he continues his conversation. And at the end of the scene, a person comes out with a broom and a, and, a, and a dustbin to like pick up after him. And it's like, that's the end of the scene. It's like, you see all this kind of like energy and art and, and fabulousness and wealth and all this stuff. And then, and yet someone always has to clean up after it.
3: I've screened that film in class. And, I, and when I screened it in class at Oklahoma State University, um, I was playing it pretty loud and I blew out one of the speakers at the front of the classroom and I never told anybody.
2: <gasps> and someone had to deal with so, that, Hugh.
3: <laughs> I know
1: it. I know it. It's like
3: two, two on the nose, man.
1: In my inner monologue about Hugh right now is like, could I love him more? Aww. Like this is like, you know, this, is, this is like hero level stuff right here. But um, no, I, I do. I, I really have a soft spot for that movie. I mean, it's like, equal parts oh, it's of good. sensationalist and, and yeah, and, and kind of... It's about way. a
3: heavy metal band being psychoanalyzed. What's not to like? Yeah,
1: yeah it's,
2: it's I'm good. glad you reminded me of, like, the scene of the cleaning woman cleaning up that machine after it's destroyed their metals and as well as the computer and microphone and rubber ducky <laughs> that Yvonne throws in. And... Well, that is really satisfying.
1: Yeah, Yvonne, oh. Yvonne is, is like, really enjoying, like, like it's very... There's something sort of beautiful and terrible about that machine and somehow it always wins, like, no matter what they, you throw into it you're thinking, okay, the shard of this laptop is going to make it. Nope, it gets crushed, and it's like no. kind of fabulous to watch. Yeah. And the
2: microphone stand
0: is, yeah. wow.
3: So I got to say, like, these are filmmakers who know their stuff in terms of like art films, popular films, everything, and I'm just going to drop a couple here. One of them is that shot. So the it's the shot into the grinder yep. while all this stuff's being POV shot straight down, directly down. Of all this stuff being crushed and ground up. And it reminds me of a film I show in every single Screen 101 class, which is Hollis Frampton's Nostalgia, Mm -hmm. where he takes the pictures and he puts them on the burner and we get the shot straight down as this thing's being destroyed. But the other thing that it just all over the place in this film is Jacques Tati. Mm -hmm. So these giant modern settings and all these weird manipulations of sound that sound way too close. So we're hearing like, we're hearing people kiss, but in a way that's much too close. and we're hearing the leaf blowers going, and she's closing one ear and closing the other ear, and we're hearing it in, like, wide stereo. And then she closes both ears, and we hear nothing. It's Jacques Tati, yeah. you know? And so this is, like, a. Mo- and I actually, I had that thought, and I thought, there's no way I'm the only person to have had this thought. And I typed it into Google, and, of course, there's people who are like, this is a modern-day Jacques oh, Tati. Wow, but right? it, it really yeah. is that. And I think in a way that I think, I just think if you paired, like, playtime. Yeah, it's yeah. playtime which I think is the great one. These are films that our students, I don't think, see. Um, and they're just so good. Aww. So given everything we've said about this film, would we RFU?
2: Well, I will say, I guess talking to you all, and especially these last few minutes, have have made me feel like um, maybe it is more than a curiosity piece. I was like, I thoroughly enjoyed watching it until it ended. And then I was angry slash annoyed but yeah talking it through with you i i I think i yes i recommend for you (laughs) it's where i'm was where i'm ending up and maybe maybe there's a little bit more heart i would
3: definitely recommend this film i suspect soren's not going to
1: i no you know what i i I would definitely recommend it i i I would i would have probably lost her dancing scene i'm not really sure what that did there were a few scenes where i was just kind of like Like, this could be 10 minutes shorter, maybe. <laughs> and Lola is just dejectedly doing that floss dance. I've never seen somebody more grumpy doing the, the floss. The and, and she's just kind of, like, mad about getting older or something. I'm not really sure what that's all supposed to mean. But, yeah, I was like, <laughs> maybe we don't need this. <laughs> But yeah, I would recommend it. I love I love movies like this that could almost they, they could be theater pieces. Like there are very few ca- characters, very few locations, um, and it's just always it just lives and dies by the screenplay. It's it's really savage and really hostile toward filmmaking and toward its subjects. I think, but um, I don't know. So am I?
2: <laughs> and to us, like to spectators, because like if you don't get what it's doing, then I guess I, I don't know. I I don't. I guess you'd be bored, and then since you do. It's people like you (laughs) who who are arguably also the problem.
3: It for sure should be said that this is a film that you could if you haven't seen it and you just listen to all this, you could watch it and it would still have the exact same effect. I mean, satire, it's just not dependent on surprise. It's not dependent on like like none of these jokes that we're talking about or none of these funny scenes are ruined by us having talked about them. It's the performance. It's what we see. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) for sure. Thanks, Ashling.
2: Thanks, Ashling.
1: Thank you, Ashling.
0: Recommended for You is a Clark University podcast. All opinions expressed are those of the faculty participants. If you'd like to recommend a film for an upcoming episode of RFU, email us at rfu at clarku.edu. That's rfu at clarku.edu. Or you can leave us a voicemail with your suggestion at 508-798-4355.
3: The Recommended For You podcast is produced by Andrew Hart for Clark University. Music by Jimmy Jackson. RFU logo by A.J. Simmons. Okay. <laughs> 2001, a space frondacy.
2: Close encounters of the fern kind.
1: Fast and Fernius, bride of Frankenstein.
2: Frond with the wind.
1: <laughs> Ferny games. Fern off.
2: <laughs> Listener Hugh made a great pen gesture for all. <laughs> Could not be recorded. Hello, listeners. What you're listening to right now are our faculty hosts, academic titans in their own right, mixing film titles with plant bonds. They have been so tickled by plant bonds since watching the film A New Leaf. Now they want to share their joy with you. Come up with a list of plant pun film titles of your own, share them on social with the hashtag frondsofrfu. of RFU. That's F-R-O-N-D-S of RFU, or email them to rfu at clarku.edu, and we'll send you a frondly t-shirt. Send us a voice note, reading them aloud, and we'll include it in an upcoming episode.
1: I'm RFU producer Andrew Hart. Thanks for listening. My best Frond's wedding.
2: Gentlemen prefer Frond's.
1: Mad Max, Fernie Road. (laughs) The Texas Chain Frond Massic Fern.
2: (laughs) The Royal Tenen
0: Frond's.
2: Unforgiven Fern!
1: <laughs> Wait, I
2: don't think that. Oh,
3: Unforgive Fern! Ah, damn it.
2: Unforgive <laughs>
1: Fern. The Maltese Frond Fern.
2: Frondy and Clyde.
1: The Franche Connection.
2: Frond Star Man.
1: To Kill a Frond King Fern. Un Fern Andalu. Frond Oncle.
2: <laughs> Alright. I, th- I think that was fantastic.